Welcome to Check Us Out, the podcast of the Montclair Public Library. I'm the Library Director, Peter Coyle, and we're glad you're joining us this month. While we're closed to the public, we are offering curbside pickup of library materials. Please visit our website, montclairlibrary.org, for more information on how you can request materials and schedule a pickup. In this month's episode of our podcast, Molly's going to talk to you about summer reading. It's almost over. You have a couple more weeks to sign up and earn prizes. Maurice is going to talk about the summer programs we offered in the adult school and talk to you about the online classes we'll be offering in the fall. And then Kirsten's going to talk about some new YA books available from home as ebooks or e-audio. Adrian is going to talk about a novel she and her book club recently read and loved, a book by Lisa C. called The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane. And finally, Ariel is going to interview Christina Baker-Klein, the New York Times bestselling novelist, about her new book, The Exiles. Christina Baker-Klein will also be at our Open Book Open Mind online on September 13th. You can visit our website to learn more about how to register for that event. We hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Hi, this is Molly from the Adult Services Department of the Montclair Public Library. And this is Maurice from the Adult School Department of the Montclair Public Library. And we're going to tell you about some current and upcoming programs that you may enjoy. Maurice, if you don't mind if I go first, I want to tell everybody about summer reading, which is still going strong. Um, Summer reading ends August 30th, so there's still a lot of time to either sign up or log your reading if if you're signed up and haven't logged anything yet. I love to really emphasize that summer reading is for all ages. I think a lot of children and teens and their parents and caregivers and teachers all all know that summer reading is great for kids and, and young people. But I think it's lesser known that summer reading is actually really fun for those of us who are out of school it's a great way to keep track of your reading and, and motivate yourself. You get like fun badges when you reach a certain amount of books and things like that. We have an online system called Beanstack where you put everything into it. And you actually get some really interesting prizes out of it. This year, just like last year, we um, have purchased some gift cards to local businesses. Um, these are prizes for both children and teens and for adults. And that's generously supported by our, our Montclair Public Library Foundation. And it's a great way to, to support your local businesses and also get something out of your reading and and have fun with your reading. It's, I'm a big fan, and I think it's it's really fun for everyone. Some examples of the local local businesses that we've already given gift cards to include Watchung Booksellers and Eastside Mags. Got a couple restaurants coming up for our big prizes um, at the end, and um, I think there's something for everyone. Gone are the days of just like giving out like a pencil or whatever for your summer reading prize. Like you get really good stuff now. And for the kids and the teens, you also get, might also get some books. I have to check that. So yeah, that's my plug for summer reading, Maurice. Do you think you'll log some books this year? I think I just might have to do that. Yeah. (laughs) uh, You know, we're all sort of, uh, you know, spending more time indoors. So it's the perfect opportunity to stay abreast, you know, of our reading and uh, staying well read and staying informed. So yeah. Yeah, I've been getting back into reading. It's, you know, the screen, all the screen time that we've all been having, it's been getting to me. So I'm trying to return to print books. And now that we have curbside pickup at the main library, you have opportunity to borrow print books from us again, which I personally, I I like a good print book. Um, And it came really in handy when the power went out the other day. And I um, just had to make sure I had enough daylight to read, but it was lovely. So Maurice, do you want to tell us about some adult school classes coming up? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, we've had a very interesting summer session. It just concluded, say, recently concluded in early August. 
uh, we wrapped up our lecture schedule with a wonderful lecture on astronomy by Charles Liv. He is an astrophysics professor for both the Hayden Planetarium as well as CUNY Staten Island. Uh, he's a great resource for us, a great friend of the adult school. And he offered a free lecture on the 32nd universe, which is a book project he has with two of his co-authors, Karen Masters and Samil Sabor, very decorated science professors, science instructors, scientists themselves. And you know, we had a very good turnout. You know, we had you know north of 60 students join us on Zoom for a really interactive and fun discussion. So we're hoping to keep some of that energy going forward into the fall. We're trying to offer a very diverse slate of classes. We're offering fewer classes due to the circumstances. You know, we're still doing public health emergency, so we want to keep everyone safe and sound going into the fall. So we're going to do our part by keeping most of our classes online on Zoom so people can tune in from their home or in the backyard or wherever they are. All I need is Wi-Fi access and a laptop or a phone, a computer or a phone. One of the things that we're really excited about is our MSU partnership lecture this year. We try to partner with MSU at least once or twice every season during our uh, sessions. And in this fall, on Tuesday, September 2nd at 6.30, we'll be offering a discussion on Three Trembling Cities, which is a, a fictional web series, which was from author Vinci, a writer-director and producer and award-winning, actually, writer, director, and producer. He also works as a line producer for Montclair State University. And this series is about the inner lives and daily struggles of a handful of immigrants living in New York City. We're going to discuss the issues that the film raises. Students who register will be offered a link to watch the web series, and we'll have a discussion on September 22nd, as I mentioned, 6.30. And he'll offer some, show some excerpts from the, uh, from the web series as well. But yeah, it looks to be a very important, urgent discussion that's going on right now in, uh, in our cities. You know, the state of immigration, the state of conditions for immigrants in our cities, particularly in New York City, which has a long history as the portal for many you know, new arrivals into America. We also are welcoming Dr. Lily Edwards. She was a uh, professor at Drew University, and she's going to do a uh, actually, three classes for us. We're so happy to have her do that. You know, she'll be doing first a two-parter on slavery in the colonies as it relates to both the North and the South. This will be over two two evenings, October 22nd and October 29th. Those are Thursday evenings. So um, it's going to be a very rich discussion of some of the things that, you know, this we've been dealing with. We've been talking a lot about, you know, America's past legacy, I should say, as it relates to race and racism and lack of opportunities and this takes it a little bit even further back beyond sort of the antebellum era going all the way back to colonial america understanding american slavery from the very beginnings and its implications to today and she's also be doing a, a talk on african-american women in the boat which we're also looking forward to with the election coming up this year women's suffrage in general trying to get the vote so or trying to gain the rights to vote so this is a uh, you know it's a very important lecture for this time for this period that we're living in right now and that will be on Friday, November 6th, from uh, 10 30 a.m. to 12 30 p.m. And that particular lecture, Aftermath Women in the Vote, will be free. That's great. Also, we're going to be doing a uh, turning to art. Obviously, we're in election season. So, we also be programmed that and some, some more lectures as well. Mm-hmm. One of them is Reforming America's Alliances. That's on September 24th at 7 p.m. That's from uh, being led by Pierre Fabian, who's a former UN communications officer and a frequent uh, foreign policy lecturer for the adult school. The class were forming America's alliances and faced with the changing nature of conflict today, 
Washington must rethink the strategy of dealing with its allies. And that's been in the news a lot during the time of the Trump administration. The reforming of alliances with the United Nations and NATO particularly. So that will be a very timely discussion with lots of impact on the November election, that topic. Yeah. Is that a free lecture as well, or is that paid? That is paid. That'll be $20, $20 lecture for that okay. evening. He's going to do a talk, I should say, after the election as well. And that'll be going with the uh, after effects of the election. So you don't want to miss that. That's on Thursday, November 12th, 7 to 8.30 p.m. That's $20 also by uh, Mr. Fabian. And uh, I guess turning to some of the layers here, we're going to be dealing with art as well. And we have our art lecturer, Janet Mandel, very popular among adult school students. She will lead a talk on Ruth Isawa, the influential West Coast-based sculptor, educator, and arts activist. That'll be Monday, September 14th at 7 p.m. She was the subject of a very well-done, extensive profile in the New York Times recently, Ruth Isawa was. She is a sculptor, educator, arts activist. She's very well known on the West Coast. You know, initially her impact has gotten wider over the years. You know, she's you know nationally known now, and her work is being rediscovered in various shows around the country. So that'll be very interesting, exciting. We also have some other creative classes as well. We're going to be doing an Oktoberfest beer mug painting class. That will be on Saturday, September 26, 2 p.m. That's through our friends at, at, at Eclectic Chic Boutique here in town, downtown. They'll be leading that one. We're going to also be offering a holiday making candle class in November 19th at 2 p.m. We have some classes for the music lovers, you know, among, in Montclair. There's a lot of great lovers of classic music. And we have John Lennon, his life and legacy on Wednesday, December 2nd and December 9th. There's a two-night class. This would have been the 80th year, I believe, of John Lennon's life had he lived. We're looking back on his life and his legacy through his music, both as a solo artist as well as a member of the Beatles, of course. And again, that'll be December 2nd and December 9th. And that'll be led by Paul Groom, who's done a, plenty of music lectures for us in the past, including lectures on the Beatles as well as history of rock and roll. That class will be $35, which is not not a whole lot for, for a two-part class, for two-night okay. class. That's great. We're also doing uh, Louis Armstrong, famous duets from Ricky Riccardi, who is the uh, director of the Louis Armstrong Museum in Queens. And that's today, September 29th, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. We also wanted to mention that we have a New language class we're going to offer. We're offering beginning German, and that'll be. Oh, you haven't days. offered German before. We have not offered. We have not offered German. Not oh. not not in the past four or five years. So this will be a, a new uh, language for us. We're excited about it. Uh, it'll be led by Trevor Kenny, who is a educated at Montclair State University. He's a um, German major, and he's excited to offer this class. He's taught previously, so this will be an exciting opportunity for people to learn German, which I'm told now is the I think it's the most popular language in the European Union at this point. It's the most spoken in the European Union? I believe it is, yes. Oh. I believe it is. So uh, that class starts from third, I should say, it's a five-session class. So it's um, it's in the mornings, Thursday to Tuesday mornings, 10 to 11.30 a.m., starting November 3rd. So yeah, look for these classes and others on our website, both at adultschool.org as well as montclairlibrary.org. We'll start uh, listing classes probably around the 1st of September. Keep uh, looking for that. We'll be sending out information through the, uh, through the various Montclair Library channels. And still in print, right? You're still printing that great brochure that everybody we're looks forward to. Yes, we have a brochure out. The brochure will be available at the library. You know, um, if we're still doing curbside pickup, we'll be there for curbside pickup. Mm -hmm. If we're doing, uh, you know, come through and if you're able to come through to the library at that time, if things change, then you'll all be available there as well. 
we also uh, send out through the local newspapers as well. So people have the opportunity to see both the print version of the uh, brochure as well as you find it online, like I said, at the uh, adultschool.org as well as montclairlibrary.org as well. So it'll be available both digitally and in print. Excellent. Well, sounds like you got something for everyone. Nice variety. We have a very educated community here, a very curious community, very uh, very interested community, very diverse community, a lot of different interests here. So we embrace the challenge of coming up with classes that we think have a little bit of something for every resident in the Montclair area, Montclair and surrounding areas. Nice. Well, there's so much to look forward to. I hope uh, our listeners will consider signing up for these classes, and I hope you'll consider um, joining us for summer reading while it lasts. This has been Molly and Maurice. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Hi, my name is Adrian, and I'm going to discuss The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane by Lisa C. Our book club read this last month, and we were instantly drawn in by the way the writer gave us instant visuals of a deep and rich culture and tradition that I feel I otherwise would not have access to. Yet another reason why I love to read. Lian, who's the protagonist of the book, is of the Aka culture, and she felt like she didn't belong. Everyone in her community seems to thrive in acceptance of their traditions, except for Leon. She rejects it. One of the things that attributed to her rejection was a tradition and superstition of the Aka. It's a woman named Deja in the village. She and her husband give birth to twins. She witnesses the villagers kill those twins and exile the parents because these twins are considered human rejects in the Aka. Deeply disturbed by this, this is what really triggers her to want to leave the village and go into second-tier education. Li Yan actually does get admitted into second-tier school, and she meets Sampa. She and Sampa really get close and connect. They eventually fall in love. And during the Swing Festival, all the young people in the culture are supposed to look for partners. Lian and San Pa, they sleep together. They want to get married. Ama and Aba do not like San Pa. San Pa leaves and he promises Lian that he'll come back and he never comes back. Lian finds out that she's pregnant. Yet another issue in the Aka culture and tradition. Having a child out of wedlock means that child has to also be killed. Leanne is not having it. She and her mother make plans for her to give birth and she walks the baby into town to an orphanage and she leaves her daughter there. San Pa winds up returning to the village and Leanne winds up marrying him. All of this after she's giving up their child for adoption. I don't want to go too far into details. I have a bad habit of spoilers, so I'm going to stop there. But there are things that happen with this, with San Pa returning to the village after she gives birth and puts their child, Haley, up for adoption. Just really well written. Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane. I highly recommend it. This is Adrian Harden of Montclair Public Library. Thanks for listening. Hello all, this is Teen Services Librarian Kirsten. Today I'm discussing four young adult new releases from popular authors. They're all available as ebooks or e-audiobooks through our eBuckles system. First up, we have 10 Things I Hate About Pinky by Sundia Menon.
The author of When Dimple Met Rishi, From Twinkle With Love, and many other great books is back with another romantic comedy. Laid-back, free-spirited Pinky volunteers for just about every cause she can find, partially because it's in her nature and partially to get under her corporate lawyer parent's skin. Her friend of a friend, Samir, is hyper-organized and buttoned up, aka Pinky's polar opposite. When Pinky's parents chastise her for her lack of direction and life choices at the start of summer, she hatches a plan to convince Samir to pose as her perfect parent-approved boyfriend for the family's summer trip to Cape Cod. Will either survive the ruse? Will this pretend relationship develop into real feelings by summer's end? You'll have to read to find out. Next is The Voting Booth by Brandy Colbert, author of Little and Lion and The Evolution of Bertie Randolph, as well as others. Her latest follows the story of Marva Sheridan and Duke Crenshaw, both of whom are voting in their first ever election. Unfortunately, at the polling place, Duke discovers that he is not eligible to vote. Marva has spent the months leading up to the election volunteering door-to-door, -door, registering voters and canvassing, and she is determined to ensure that Duke's vote is counted. Though they begin the book as strangers, by the end, they team up in an effort to beat a broken system, as well as a side mission to find Marva's missing cat. A super relevant read in a time when voting rights are paramount for all, this is one not to miss. Next, we have Stephanie Meyer, author of the Twilight series, back with a new novel titled Midnight Sun. This story explores the events of the saga from Edward Collins' perspective and delves deeper into his background and motivations. For fans of the original or new readers interested in a vampire story to close out the summer, this is sure to be a huge hit. Finally, we have Burn by Patrick Ness, author of A Monster Calls and the Chaos Walking series. Ness is masterful at complex dark fantasies, rich with metaphor, and this title is sure to be no exception. Sarah and her father live as outcasts in rural Washington state in the 1950s. Driven by desperation, they take the unconventional and taboo step of hiring a dragon to work on their farm. Sarah is drawn to Casimir the dragon, who seems intent on protecting her. What she doesn't realize is that he harbors many secrets, including a prophecy involving assassination, a dragon-worshipping cult, the FBI, and most mysteriously, Sarah herself. Though set in something like an alternate universe, the story contains echoes and examinations of contemporary U.S. history through its fantasy lens. I hope these titles inspire you to check out something new to round out your summer reading. Tune in next month for more book recommendations. Thanks for listening! Welcome. This is Ariel, and I'm talking to Christina Baker-Klein, the author of, most recently, The Exiles. We're going to have the pleasure of having Christina at Open Book, Open Mind on September 13th, and this is a little sneak preview. So I'm welcome. looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. So when and why did you move to Montclair to start out with? That's such a good question. My college roommate had chosen Montclair very carefully. Uh, she's Jewish and she married an African-American man and they were moving from San Francisco and so with a baby and they wanted to be sure it was, a, it was a, an inclusive community and an interesting place and they had done a ton of research. And at the time my husband and I lived in the city, New York City with two children we came to visit them and she had secretly set up a house viewing. We were not even looking at houses. We knew we needed a bigger apartment, which was straining our budget, but we had been looking for a year for an apartment. And we walked in the front door, we walked, we strolled across Edgemont Park. She lived on North Fullerton. We knocked on the door of her friend and walked in the front entrance and I could we just could not even believe compared to the apartments we'd been looking at how gorgeous it was and the pond you know Edgemont right across the street was the pond and a playground and it felt like 
suddenly like paradise. We had never, I don't even know if I had physically set foot in New Jersey. And two <laughs> days later, we owned the house. We were all in then. It was clear that we loved the house and, and we raised our three boys there and we were there for almost exactly 20 years. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. And we loved it so much. We came up through all Nishuane, Hillside, the high school. We had a, we had just a great, ex Glenfield, we personally had a great experience with the schools and the boys thrived and loved it. That's great. Okay. Do you have a favorite book? That's a good question. I guess I would say the most influential book, the book that kind of blew my mind when I was in grad school and that I reread every now and then, every five years or so, is Anna Karenina, just because it's so epic. But actually, for sensibility, maybe Madame Bovary, which I also reread quite often. I just love Flaubert, and that novel captures so much of a sensibility and a care about language and an attention to detail that, and just humor. It's so deeply funny in such a brilliant and cutting and profound way. So I find it endlessly useful to reread. I just read a book that I loved though, more than any book I've read in a while, in fact, um, that's been out for a few years. It's called All My Puny Sorrows by Miriam, T um, how do you pronounce her last name? It's Tews or Tours, T-O-E-W-S. She wrote Women Talking, which I think was sort of her breakout book, which I like, but I, I love it. This book, yeah, All My Puny Sorrows. It's a quote, I think, from Coleridge. But it's a great story of a woman who has a suicidal sister. And it's sort of about her, their journey together. But it's also about this kind of religious sect that they belonged to and no longer do. It's just wonderful, beautiful writing. I mean, not just beautiful, really interesting writing, which is what I'm always going for in reading. Right, and, and when you say Madame Bovary and Anna Karenina, I'm thinking... Tragedy, depth yeah. of emotion, which to me that kind of relates to the book that you've just published, The Exiles, or that you are about to publish almost any minute now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> coming out very soon. Yeah, I'm really drawn to stories about people who are on the brink of something. Mm. Um, yes. And a lot of those stories have heartache and trauma in them. Right, Oftentimes my characters have undergone or, or do undergo some, some trauma that shapes their lives, I would say. Right. I think it was Isaac Dennison who said that she always wanted a palette that also contained black. That she yeah. wrote with a palette that contained all the colors, including the darker colors. You know, it's funny, I was talking to my editor about this novel, The Exiles, today, because... When I turned it in, my real concern was that I hadn't gone dark enough, actually. I wanted to convey what it was really like. And there were very hard stories. I felt in some ways I pulled back from what I could have done. And I remember her saying at the time, no, I think you actually do go pretty far. Um, but I still was concerned because I saw a film after I finished my novel, which is about the convict women and the Aboriginal people in Tasmania, which is what I write about. It's called The Nightingale, not to be confused with Kristen Hanna's wonderful novel, but The Nightingale is an Australian independent film. It takes place 20 years before my novel, which is significant because I actually chose a period of time that would not be 
as brutal as it was in the 1820s. My novel takes place in the 1840s mainly. The film was so intense that I left it thinking, oh God, have I not delved deep enough into the darkness? Um, <laughs> but apparently I have. My feedback is that it, there's plenty of darkness. I will say without wanting to, no spoilers, but there is one character who meets a fate that really surprised me somewhat early on in the book. And I thought about that phrase, kill your darlings. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> literally, um, this book. I was influenced by a lot of things. One of which actually is, this is going to sound ridiculous, but Game of Thrones, the way those character that there's no, there are no rules for who yeah. dies and it feels like real life in that way. And I mean, uh, you know, obviously Game of Thrones is not real life. We don't have dragons, but there is a way that the unpredictability is freeing. I also thought of the movie Psycho, which leads you down a path for the first 20 minutes and then uh, something happens, a huge shift happens. And for about four minutes, you think, how in the world can this continue? What in, what's right. left to do here? We, this is, this story is over. And I wanted that same dislocation and disconnection, partly because we haven't discussed what my novel's about yet. And I, I'll, I can, I can say what that is, but uh, partly because the convict women who were sent to Australia in the 19th century, uh, essentially as breeders, to populate Australia because it was nine to one men to women. Those women had incredibly unpredictable lives and things happened that in real life that can be hard to write about in fiction actually. And I wanted to show that unpredictability and what it was, what it was really like. The people, um, you know, terrible things happened to people. Also for the convict women, it, the ones who survived and lived through the prison experience, it could be transformative because unlike England, Australia at the time was not rigidly socially hierarchical. And you had options. That and once you got out, right, exactly. You had options, you could move around. I should step back and quickly say that my novel is about the convict women who transformed Australia and the Aboriginal people whose way of life essentially was destroyed when colonists landed on their shores. And I'm, I wanted to show both kinds of stories. And I wonder, do you think that there might be a sequel? Because I would have liked to find out more about the eventual fate of the Aboriginal girl who is very movingly described and has a real heft as a character. In my new novel, The Exiles, the Aboriginal character is based on a real person, Mithuna, who was oh. daughter of a chieftain. Her story as much as I could do with it is true, actually. She was taken in by Governor Franklin and his wife, Lady Jane Franklin, essentially as a social experiment. They wanted to see if they could turn her into a lady. And I had the same situation with my previous novel, A Piece of the World, in which I wrote about a real person, Christina Olson, who was the muse for Andrew Wyeth. Uh, and she became the subject of his best known painting, Christina's world. Christina Olsen and Andrew Wyeth had this amazing friendship that I wanted to show in the novel. But in real life, after the painting was done, 
her own life took a precipitous turn and she died 20 years later, but destitute, really disabled and extreme poverty and discomfort. I wanted to end the novel on a moment of connection. And so A Piece of the World ends at this high point where Christina Olsen sees the portrait and feels that she's been recognized by the painter, Andrew Wyeth. And when I was researching the story of Mathina, I learned that after she left the governor's mansion, her life became, like Christina Olsen's, very tragic. She descended into alcoholism. She, was, she could never find a place in the world. The Aboriginal people she had lived with didn't accept her back after she was abandoned by the governor and his wife. And the white people, of course, were completely prejudiced uh, at the time there. So she wandered between worlds. And at the age of 17, she was found drowned. Oh, wow. Uh, They don't know if it was murder or suicide or if she was drunk, you know. So her life ended quickly and not happily. And I wanted to end on, as I did with A Piece of the World, I wanted to end on on a moment of connection. She she meets up with Hazel again in the marketplace. I wanted to show a bit more of what had happened to her, but I didn't want to dwell on what became of her. And so that was a real question for me as I worked on the novel, how to handle that story without making it just so brutally hard. I wanted to give her a moment of grace. Well, I think that's one of the interesting things about writing historical fiction is that you get to shape the story in some ways, you know, by choosing what portions of the story you convey, you're going to give people, you make that decision about how, you know, what that story is going to look like. And I, I really got the sense that you had done a tremendous amount of historical research. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I did. You know, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't really read historical fiction. I mean, I read a lot of it because I I get asked to blurb a lot of books. And obviously, I've written these three books set in the past. Mm -hmm. But the problem that I have with, I'll say, some historical fiction is Mm -hmm. it often, to me, feels that the research is front-loaded and that you're kind of being shown how much the author has learned. And my task, I hope I pull off, I hope I pull it off, is to submerge the research so that you feel that you're living this experience, but that you're not kind of getting these rote paragraphs of detail that feels like the author is showing you how much they've done. That feels so tedious to me. And there's also a way with historical fiction, with some historical fiction, that you f- it feels like the author is trying to approximate the language of the time, you know, either through dialect or detail, contractions, that I wanted to be also, I also don't want to do. So my 1840 is sort of a hybrid of a, con- I almost feel that I have, and I read that Hillary Mantel said this actually, and I was like, that's exactly what I'm trying to do, which is to put contemporary characters in a story that's set in the past. I was more concerned with having the reader feel immersed and identify with these characters as they're going through their lives than that they would feel exactly as someone might, might have written it in 1840. I can't do that, and I don't want to do that. I want to tell a story about people who feel as if they're alive now, but they lived then. Uh, Because also for myself, that's the only way I can get under the skin of these characters. I want to be really close to the characters. I wanted the readers 
to feel really close to the characters. And so, you know, I'm careful not to use anachronisms as much as I can help it. The dialogue is more contemporary, perhaps, than it would have been at the time. I guess what I'm doing right now is I'm talking about not researching, right? But I, but, but I, yeah, I did do a ton of research. I read everything I could get my hands on, all the books that have been published about the convict women that I could find. I befriended this incredible historian who's in her 70s and lives in Hobart, Tasmania, named Alison Alexander. And we emailed all the time. I went and visited her twice. I hung out with her for many dinners and and she's written sort of definitive books about the convict women that I, that I used as my Bibles as I was re- researching the book. And then I also spent a lot of time with literature about the Aboriginal people and their experience. There's a lot going on right now in Australia, as there is in America, around Black Lives Matter. The Australian movement was influenced by the American one. And there's, there are many changes happening but that change has been slow in coming. And yeah. yeah, and the cultural schisms are intense also. So that was interesting to find out about too, as well as what actually happened. As I was researching the Aboriginal experience, I found that it, it sort of feels like a hybrid of our Native Americans and African Americans. These people Mm-hmm. In Australia, were there for you know thousands and thousands of years before the British came, and then not only was their land taken, but they were essentially hunted down and kind of quasi enslaved as well. Extreme prejudice, all of all of that. So there are a lot of parallels. One okay, this is the question we ask everyone at the end, which is tell me something surprising about you or something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on? Oh my God, that's such a good question. I'm always like a deer in the headlights when I get these kinds of questions. (laughs) Oh, I'll tell you something that's (laughs) surprising maybe about me, which is that I would make a very good line worker. My paternal grandmother and grandfather, my dad was raised in a very poor family in Georgia and his parents worked in a woolen mill and they worked on the line. And I inherited their skill. Like I can take apart a lobster in about two minutes. Um, I would be good on an assembly line of any sort. I actually kind of enjoy those tasks. And when we, I'm in Maine. So when we have lobster, which by the way, up here is so inexpensive. It's like eating chicken. My sister's you know, when normally, not so much during COVID, but when we have a gathering, I'm the one who does all the lobsters because I take so much pleasure in taking them apart. <laughs> I could work in a factory quite happily. I love that. Thank you so much for this interview. And we can't wait to welcome you virtually to the library next month. And congratulations so very much on this beautiful and emotionally resonant book. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you so much, Ariel. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Check Us Out. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions. You can reach us as well as find more information about our materials, programs, and services that we're offering online at montclairlibrary.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to hear from you soon.